this, narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are casually critical. And welcome to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two pals who love to talk about storytelling. I'm your host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your co-host. For those of you who are curious, we'll be starting this review free of spoilers. Our casual correspondence segment will follow, and then we will end this episode with a spoiler-filled discussion. Today we're going to be talking about the Netflix original animated series, The Dragon Prince, uh, which was created by two people from the crew of Avatar The Last Airbender. Daniel, could you tell us a little bit about the series? Of course I can. Much of the lore of its world is explained in the prologue of the first episode of the first season, but in short, humankind basically learns how to take magic, which is this natural component in this world called Zadia, and learns how to pervert it and twist it for their own means, as humans do. All the elves and other fantastical creatures kick humans out of Zadia, to an adjacent kind of land. I think it might have been Zadia still, but just the less beautiful part. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then it's about this unlikely group of friends carrying something very precious that might just bring about peace between the two factions. I would say this falls into the same camp as The Last Airbender in a way where it takes the fantasy genre and it wisely figures out where to settle for the familiarity and where to perhaps subvert and or make original contributions to that genre and its own world. There's a lot of components. One of them, and I this isn't really a spoiler, but humans can't use magic naturally. And I think that is a very interesting addition to the fantasy genre or a fun little twist, if you will. And so I think the world building in this where it's strongest at is knowing where to tread on familiar ground and where to add its own home spice is what I would say. I see what you mean. Uh, and I think you're definitely right. I think there is uh, a lot of shared territory with Avatar The Last Airbender just because the two main creators of this show worked under uh, Michael Martino and the other guy whose name escapes me who created Avatar The Last Airbender. So they have a lot of experience yeah. uh, with taking the fantasy genre and subverting it but instead of subverting sort of far eastern folklore and um sort of the religious philosophies there like avatar does this is more of a traditional fantasy story um there's a lot of european influence in the way things are set up there's castles and dragons and knights and guards and kings as daniel said there's a lot of things that are familiar but then there are other things within the magic system that are very unique, uh, which is something that fantasy series have yet to hit a roadblock in terms of making up new magic systems. It's always so interesting to see a new series and see, oh, what's their unique take on magic in this world? And the Dragon Prince definitely has a unique take on it. That it does, that it does. Especially the uh, racial relations between humans and elves and the other fantastical creatures. It's really kind of a treat to watch. There's one book I was reading where it talks a bit about the intrigue of magic or magic systems and world building is not so much in what you can do, it's what you can't do. 
And that's what fundamentally makes it good or not. Um, If you just have someone who can just do anything, that's boring. But if you have someone who can do anything except when in the presence of water, now that's interesting. So in terms of characters in this show, Daniel, um, overall, what were your thoughts on the characters and the way they were written? Um, Do you think Mm. that uh, these characters were fleshed out in ways they needed to be? Do you think they meshed Mm. well together? Do you think they they fit in the world well? There are some characters that I like off the bat, and there are some that take a while. Uh, Callum, who is voiced by Jack DeSena, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, I'm going to refer to Callum from now on as Sokka, just because uh, he was voiced by the same voice actor as Sokka, who's a character from The Last Airbender, and I just can't get that image out of my mind. Yeah, you can't really unhear it. Their personalities are virtually the same. They're similar enough where I'm like, oh, that's Sokka. Oh, it's cute. Sokka's different now. You know, but I do love Callum's drive and his motivations and what he seeks to accomplish from a personal goal in this series, which I won't get into. But I found that stuff to be really fun and fascinating. Ezrin, I had a more difficult time with. And if I'm going to be frank with you, James, and to fans that are undoubtedly listening... I still had a rough time with him throughout the series. It's hard for me to describe because you might argue he's a kid, Daniel. He'll say and do things that are impulsive and immature. And I get that. But I have seen so many child characters written so well. And Ezrin isn't really one of them, especially his humor. I find he just constantly is more on the random side. And I found similar to the problems, James, that you and I pointed out in Kung Fu Panda 2... He tends to impact a scene's momentum in ways that aren't always healthy or supportive of it. And then as for Rayla, which I'll mention quickly, she's one of my favorite characters in the series. A lot of series, especially nowadays, try to add these female characters that are very confident. They don't need nobody. They're, you know, very independent. And I think Rayla is one of the rare examples where that is done well. Um, I find a lot of female characters that are like that can come across as arrogant and unlikable just because they don't need anyone. So why should I care about them if they don't care for me to care? That's where I'll leave it. But James, especially regarding our main characters or just characters in general, what are your reactions? Um, Yeah, I was pretty not excited about Ezrin. He's, you know, a kid not written well, I don't think. Sometimes the things that he does are understandable, but the way that he does them... It's just like, Mm. this doesn't make the character more likable. I'm sorry. Like you were saying earlier, you can say, oh, he's a kid. This is what kids do. But it's just the way he goes about doing it. It's like, all right, I can't get in this kid's head. Like, I can't relate to or empathize with this child at all. For example, like, if you were going to write a child, let's say, let's say the heroes are running from danger and the child wants to face the evil himself. That's a very immature move, especially if you're a kid with no training. If you're going to have him do that, set up motivations or a mentality he has that makes us understand, okay, even though I myself wouldn't do that, I perfectly understand why he or she would choose to do this. Yeah. There there are some things in Ezrin's character that just don't really add up. There are just certain character traits that are set up early in season one that don't really pay off uh, further along the line, which... Mm. That's what happens with normal people. Like, they behave a certain way as a kid, and then as, as life happens, they behave a different way. As an audience and as a s- fictional storytellers, 
we want to see those traits pay off and grow and evolve as the character grows and evolves. And that just doesn't really happen with this character. With Callum and Rayla, those things definitely happen in big ways, and it just makes both of those characters way more interesting. And I do agree, I think Rayla is the more interesting character whenever it comes to the main three characters of the series. I just think she's charming and funny and relatable and a person. Uh, And the way she's handled, it doesn't even make me really think about Oh man, I can't believe the writers handled this thing about this woman character. I just think about, oh wow, Rayla's a really cool character. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes female characters are written in a condescending way, as if to kind of spit in the faces of whatever male might be watching them on screen. Or in an unattainable way too, where it's like right. so amazing that the standard that's being set before them, like I'm thinking about like the mind of like, I don't know, a little girl that's watching. It's like, oh man, when I grow yeah. up, I want to be just like this person. And whenever this little girl finds out that she is not as strong and never will be because she has flaws, there's a lot of harm done there, I think. Uh, And Rayla is a character that has flaws. So, James, we're reviewing the first three seasons. So if you would rate the series as a whole for me out of five stars and then rank the three seasons that exist so far in order of best to worst. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five and I'm going to rate season two as the best, uh, season three as the second best and season one as the worst. The show got better from season one to two, but then it got too big in season three, in my opinion, still well Mm. done, but it just got too big and we can dive into that more a little bit later. I would say overall, I give the series probably the same three and a half. I would say... For me, it's three, two, one. Honestly, um, I think the show does get better, and I do think a large part of that has to do with our tastes. I like it when things get bigger. If there's relatively that intimacy that's kept between us and the characters, I think there are some ways in which that is jeopardized. But I also see that I just feel that it gets the story gets more grooving in season three. And one of the things I'll talk about with you in our spoiler section is some ways that I feel season two actually kind of stalls that or prevents it altogether. But enough chit chat. Let's move on to casual correspondence. James, what do we got? I'm so excited to just delve into this. Yeah, so we didn't really um, throw out a big question for you guys to answer this time around. We answered ahead of time. So whatever questions or answers you submitted to us for previous correspondence, we will answer in our next recording session. But we have one question, nonetheless, from our dear friend Matthew from Iowa. And he says... Oh, okay, new name. Yeah, well, to some. He says, what things do you have rattling about in your gourd pertaining to the Parks and Rec quarantine special? Matthew, Mm. that's a very interesting way of wording the question. I think he just wants to know how we feel about this Parks and Rec COVID special reunion episode it's very interestingly worded thank you matthew for submitting i'll be honest with you was not a fan in a word way too much pandering way too much i feel that all the risks they took in the show have been considerably reduced and i don't want to hate on them too much because they wrote an entire episode got everyone together and did this in you know lord knows how long maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or two. I don't know. But I think it was delivered exceptionally fast. Uh, You can see it for free on YouTube. That's where I saw it. Yep. But 
I would say overall, I just did not feel it could be that this feels different because it's a quarantine edition. There's so much fan pandering. I won't even say fan service because I feel it legitimizes it where it's like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm back. And let me throw you a few things, you know, about my character just so you can remember why you love me so much. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it treats the audience as though nobody remembers who Tom Haverford is. No one, no one remembers <laughs> who Ron Swanson is. No one remembers who Bobby Newport is. That one's a little more understandable. Uh, yeah. He doesn't even know who he is. Really. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, there were some parts that I laughed at. I will, I will give them that. Uh, this show never stops being funny. However, one thing that you didn't say, Daniel, that I'll go ahead and add on, and I'm sure you probably feel this way to some capacity, felt like I was watching a COVID-19 uh, PSA. There was a yeah. lot of just like, oh, Ron, you're wearing a, a bandana. Uh, does that mean that you're protecting your face to prevent the germs from spreading? Um, and it's yes, just like, Leslie, I am. I, I do think it is very important that it people is very keep their important distance. to quarantine <laughs> yourself. Thank you, robot. I mean, Ron, that was <laughs> so, uh, it, this might, this might be better outside of quarantine, but like while I'm in quarantine, every five minutes, everywhere I turn my head, there's someone saying in these tough times, we're here to stand yeah. by you. And I'm just so sick of it. And this is partially cabin fever speaking. But the more <laughs> that I hear it, the more it drives me bananas. And I was like, whenever this it's Parks like, and Rec special comes It's like, stop reminding me it's tough. Out, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, ah, oh, this Parks and Rec special. I can get away from all of this PSA stuff and all of these businesses trying to sell themselves to me and remind me that they're still relevant. But Parks yeah. and Rec just sort of throws me back into it again with this quarantine special. And it doesn't even yeah. feel like I'm hanging out with these characters, you know, I'm just being reminded of who they are. I'm, I'm given a brief character bio. It really just feels like instead of Parks and Rec quarantine edition, it's literally just channel 57 news featuring Parks and Rec characters is what yeah. it feels like. And I feel that some artists, some creators that make these shows, which by the way, are very talented individuals and very experienced individuals where I get disappointed is when they feel they need to make a statement with their art that's very overt and in a way that isn't very creative or constructive. There's one moment in the season uh, special that really bothered me because I felt it was so lazily overt and so inconsistent with Parks and Rec, I think, in general. It was when um, Gary slash Terry slash so on, he's wrestling with the filters and he turns himself into the poop emoji and then goes on to talk about how we need really smart, intelligent leaders. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you can stop now. Like, you're just literally turning into the news at this point. You're literally just people come to the show to escape. Like you said, people don't need to be lectured about, oh yeah, your life is hard. And it's hard because it's like, I do think it's difficult now, but I am trying to move past it. I'm trying to make the best of it and just think more positively about this. And when people are constantly like, oh my gosh, life is so hard. Life is hard. It is hard right now. It is so tough. I'm Guess like, what? Stop. It's always been hard, people. All right. <laughs> Crash the old man here sitting behind this microphone. There's one other thing I want to drop to you, Matthew, to answer this question. I think we should also throw a bone to the writers of this special because one, it's very possible that the only reason they were allowed to run this is if they were 
politically correct in their conversations about COVID-19. That's true. Two, they may have been writing this just as everything was just ramping up. Maybe they didn't feel as fatigued by all of those PSAs and we're here for you advertisements um, as yeah. we were whenever the special actually did drop. So that's 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 what I'll say. And also, I think the writers are very focused on doing something else, which is Space Force, which you haven't if you haven't seen the trailer yet, I highly recommend. It's going to be very interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. So, James, I think we'll end casual correspondence in a very kind of strange way. But I think since it's kind of a mini review, an appropriate way out of five stars, especially comparing to the other series that came before it, what would you rate the Parks and Rec special? You know what, Daniel? In these trying times, we need to stand together. And whenever we stand together, we need to practice social distancing and coughing into our elbows. Support local businesses. Uh, Zoom, trademark, trademark, trademark. James, trademark. James. Yes? You're turning into the Parks and Rec special. Oh, I'm What's sorry. What's your rating? I'm sorry. Uh, in these trying times, I would give this special a 2.5 out of 5. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I was going to give it a three out of five, but I like where you're going. So I'll just be more ruthless. Bang. If you're going to throw down Ow. that guillotine, then I'll just help you throw down the guillotine even harder. Um, we need to let you read a, stuff first sometime. I feel bad. Uh, yeah, we got to I think we just feel very similarly about a great many things. And that's what makes it so dang hard. Yeah, but I want I want, like to, if, I want people to see that you you're not just following what I'm saying, you know. It's OK. I don't think they do. Okay. I've. You know, I do more talking than most of the times you do. So anyway, well, it's been great talking with you, James, about the Parks and Rec uh, special. And thank you, Matthew, for submitting. Uh, you guys can submit your requests in the plug that is shortly about to follow. Want to join the conversation? Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Casually Critical Podcast to get the inside scoop on future episodes. Feel free to message us on either platform to join in the casual correspondence or provide feedback on the show. Now it's time to dive into our spoiler review. All right, it's spoiler time. And more than that, it's a big spoiler. Like, it's big spoiler time. You heard a big brain time? It's big spoiler time because we're not just spoiling Dragon Prince Season 1. We're also spoiling 1, 2, and 3. So, if you've seen Season 2 but not Season 3, get out of here. If you've seen Season 1 but nothing else, get out of here. If you're halfway through Season 3 and just think, oh, I'll just have them spoil it, you're wrong. That's not what you want. And I am telling you what you want, and it's not this. So, Scram. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so keep in mind, like Stranger Things, um, there is a fourth season for this series that is all but confirmed. James and I haven't seen it for one very good reason, I think, and that is it doesn't exist yet. Oh. So all this is going to be with a lack of hindsight. Let's talk spoilers. This is fun. This is where uh, this is where the demons come out of the closet. Yeah, and yeah. The no, they literally do come out though. Like whenever the Balrog shows up at the finale of season two, I was like, "Best crossover." Daniel, let's talk about world building because you are very passionate about this topic, uh, and I want to pick your brain about it. Uh, and I want you to feel like you are a valid critic of this show because I think that there are a lot of big world building decisions made, and I want to hear if you agree with them or disagree with them. So all in all, what are your thoughts about the world building of this show? Well, I appreciate you saying all that, James. I will confess my thoughts are a little rusty. I haven't seen this show in a hot minute, and I regret not preparing more sufficiently for this episode. 
There's one thing that this series does exceptionally well that I really want to highlight, and that is character economy. I've talked to you before about scene economy, or at least you've talked to me about it on the show, even though I talked to you about it. Right. I was quoting you. Right. Character economy is simply the preservation of one character, giving them multiple uses into the story over time. In layman's terms, it's keeping the character scale of your world small, regardless of how large things can get. So as an example, the three main characters are Ezrin, Callum, and Rayla, and it stays that way all through season three. There are side characters, sure, that accompany them on their side quests. There's that pirate guy from season two. (laughs) There's that one young girl and the wolf that was healed or whatever from season one. But they never stick with them throughout. And frankly, I enjoy that because it allows us to touch on the world in different ways, but it it never forces us to be like, oh, you like this character? Well, good, because you're going to tolerate them for the rest of the dang series. (laughs) (laughs) So... I like not being force-fed that, and I like getting to invest even more into these characters. Disney, which I've called out before on this, suffers from understanding character economy. They think, oh, let's just pile up the roster of characters as we go along. Is that inherently bad? No. But it is inherently risky, because the best way you can get good character moments is through intimacy and privacy. The best character moments in Dragon Prince happen usually when there's one or two people in the scene. No more than three usually. It's all just, it's very small scale. If you want a character to cry, if you want them to unearth some secrets, that's not really going to happen in a large group unless there's a darn good reason why that character is suddenly so openly vulnerable. And at any rate, it does make it difficult from a writing standpoint to flesh out characters in that way if they're a part of a large ensemble. So in that way, I applaud the Dragon Prince. I have the highest respect for it in that way. Um, Also, I think finding creativity to subvert its own world rules is fun. The way Callum goes about learning magic through reflection, introspection on not just the world but himself in order to unlock that, it really feels like a triumph. It doesn't feel like they're goofily breaking or bending the world so that Callum can succeed. It feels like Callum is really pushing through untread territory. So that's what I think the world building does well. James, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I actually had another question to follow up um, okay. with that. Because uh, you talked about how Rayla is one of your favorite characters, and you talked about how the character, it's its sort of small scale in terms of characters. Who are your favorite characters in this show, and why? I loved Rayla throughout. I loved Bait. <laughs> <laughs> Bait didn't say anything, and that's how I like my animal sidekicks to be, honestly, when they just don't say anything, when they just emote. And I'd say a character that I didn't like at all and then I came to love, was Soren, easily. I did not like Soren in season one, full confession. I didn't like him in a lot of season two. Um, I felt him kind of like Ezrin, where he was immature, he was childish, he was a character, he wasn't really a character. Right. You get like some Steve Harrington energy, you know? Yeah, but I feel a lot more overdone than Steve Harrington. And I do feel finally at the end of season two slash beginning of season three and throughout season three, there is finally enough complexity to ground that hyper energetic vibe 
that really makes him likable and lovable. So, yeah. But what are what are some of your favorites, James? What are your top ones? I really like Soren. Uh, whenever I, I too did not like him very much and I was just waiting, you know, cause I felt like they were building up Soren and Claudia as these two characters that though they were kind yeah. of villainous, you were going to start to sympathize with them more. Once Soren broke his body and <laughs> no. he was unable to walk, you really got a good idea of who Claudia and Soren are and what directions, mm. what paths they would take. Um, yeah. Soren sort of he he comes to terms. Yeah, he comes to terms. He says, "I'm going to be a poet, a terrible poet." Yeah. And then Claudia's <laughs> like, "No, I'm going to fix this." And she goes out and right. kills an, an animal and steals its soul and uses it to fix his body. And it's like, yeah. "Okay, I'm starting to see <laughs> who is more like the da- their dad here, the villain." Right. Um And here's the thing, the villainy comes not out of this I just have a draw to evil. Right. It's, it's very realistic. Claudia sees how practical and useful dark magic is. And I think deep down, she feels the way Callum feels, this kind of almost depression-esque feeling of despair, feeling of, I'll never be able to do primal magic, so why bother looking into it? Yeah. Whereas Callum is so optimistic, and it's that optimism that ultimately causes him to triumph. Um, and you know why the gray morality of, of Claudia works? Why? Because, as we've discussed before, there is a much bigger bad overshadowing this gray. Um, mm. The main villain, Lord Viren, is just, you know, there are some times where you're like, I wonder if he has good intentions, but the whole time you sort of mm. have this sight of like, okay, he's a bad guy. Like, even if he's trying to help, he's a bad yeah. guy, you know? He's a guy that I would love otherwise, but his life choices make me not like him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that stark villainy allows people to play in the gray because otherwise, mm. if it's just a mess of gray, as we've talked before, it doesn't work as fantasy. Yeah, and I will say, I would argue Viren is not the big bad, though he seems to be going in that direction. Avaros is certainly portrayed as a bigger threat. Oh, yeah. Which, by right. the way, I got to say, so Callum was voiced by Jack, my boy who voices Sokka from Last Airbender. A lot of these people are relatively unknowns, people that voice these characters, mm-hmm. except for Eric Dellums, who voices Avaros. He plays a lot of small roles of shows slash media that you know very well. He plays Navir from Skyrim. Oh. He's one of the Alakir that ask you about the missing women in Whiterun. He um, also voices Ko from The Last Airbender, the face stealer. Oh, that's where I recognize that voice. <laughs> Dang. No wonder he it just, gave me goosebumps. He has such a rich, deep, beautiful voice. Yes. And I, I love it. I love it. And here's the thing. If you surrounded a bad guy like Avros with people that never questioned him and just did his bidding, he would be a very flat villain, I feel. But part of what makes him strong and his presence felt is not necessarily the character himself, though he is fun to listen to and watch. It's the reactions, especially from Viren, when Avros suggests something or does something that Viren just simply won't do or thinks he won't do or doesn't want to. That's alarming. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, Viren seems sketchy. And then Avros tells him to do something. I'm like, Viren's going to do that, no problem. But then Viren really hesitates. And you sense, like, Viren's the smart guy. He's not used to being toyed with. And Avros is toying with him like putty. Yeah. 
So that's fun to watch for me, that dynamic. And uh, the cliffhanger at the end, we'll see what happens there. I love the mystery surrounding Avros. We don't know anything about really his species. Yeah. We don't know what his plan is, which gives him that richness. Anyway, James, I would like to ask you, what were some moments that really made you enjoy watching it? And what were some of the moments that made you rate it a three and a half? Some of the things that I really enjoyed were just small world building things like the Sunfire Blade. There was just a whole situation in the first season where Rayla wants to get this binding cut off, uh, which is very simple magic rule and it just made sense. Uh, she didn't fulfill an oath, so it continues to tighten around her hand. She wants to get it cut yeah. off. She finds this kind of roguish character in a human village and he has a Sunfire Blade. And I just thought that was really fun. There was just like a whole plot surrounding that Sunfire Blade briefly. And I was like, this is fun. This is very unique and I like it. Something in season one that I did not like, the entire character of this little girl and her pet wolf. They were unnecessary, <laughs> but she was they just... just... I feel they unbalanced the chemistry between the characters a little yeah. bit. It sort of just yeah. felt like this this party of people, of travelers, was being run by babies now. Like, whenever this yeah. child was thrown into the mix and she's just such a chaotic, carefree character, it's like, okay, this is just a less developed version of Ezrin running around on a, on a on a wolf. And then another thing, like I said earlier, that I really appreciated about this show um, is the characters of Claudia and Soren. Um, not specifically that I think that they are extraordinary characters. I do like both of them. But it's a good character study. You can see, all right, these two people were raised by the same person, and this person is a villain. And it's interesting to see how they take different directions. And it's seeing the origins of that that really makes it interesting. There's there's a lot of, of intimate character moments in season two that I appreciate at the cost of um, slowing down the plot, as you mentioned before. What about you? Favorite moments. Easily uh, one of them was Soren breaking his legs. And here's the reason why. Not because I love seeing Soren in pain. I actually don't. Right. One of the unsaid rules about kids' shows, at least in the genre, is that you're not allowed to severely cripple or injure your heroes, and you're certainly not allowed to kill them off. And implicitly, that's the assumption I go in when I see one of these shows. I think, okay, he'll be fine, whatever, she'll suffer in some way. But the fact that not only do you hurt Soren in a very serious way, but you also potentially change everything he stands for in the show, because his entire character was built on his physique and that what happens when that's temporarily taken from him? How does he wrestle with that? That is such a fun, rich question. Yeah. And it also helps people s grapple with the realities of life. Sometimes you will bite off more than you can chew. And I, I love that. How to train your dragon is similar. Hiccup is handicapped throughout the entire series. He, he gets injured in a way which caused him to lose a body part, which right. I won't I won't delve into that more in case you somehow haven't seen the first movie. But <laughs> I I really love shows like that that take those risks and those like whoa moments where it's like oh oh. So I loved that moment as simple as it was. What I didn't like ironically was all the circumstances surrounding it. I did not like Rayla in that episode or the episode around it where she yeah. starts wanting to find her purpose and she's like, screw off, Callum. Screw off, Ezrin. I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm like, Rayla, stop. 
sweetie, can <laughs> stop. Sweetie. Just can we can we talk about this? It's an example that I hate of writers using information that one character could easily tell another Ugh. throughout the show. Yep. These characters seem fairly well-spoken and articulate, especially Callum and even Rayla, though not as much as Callum. And the fact that she gets so fed up that it causes her to easily abandon her friends and just go off and fight that dragon makes no sense. Yes. And I feel it could have been a lot better done. We talked about how misunderstandings are handled in um, our Singing in the Rain review, which came out last week. Mm. Um, yes. And yeah, this this the series has a few bad examples of, oh, they have a misunderstanding so that we can separate them. And it's like, right. uh, this is... It's like, so it's a fantasy. Why contrived. not just make a physical obstacle happen? Like, yeah. that's easy to do. Could be an avalanche, an earthquake, a giant that attacks, a dragon that attacks, Callum attacks, Soren attacks, Claudia attacks, Viren attacks, Dark Elves attack, Moonshadow Elves attack, Make Sunfire up a monster attack. that attacks. Literally, just make up a monster that attacks. The and then, yeah, literally. <laughs> literally, especially at the end of season three, where the sky literally becomes the limit. Yep. But <laughs> anyway. Oof, wow, um, nice one. Another thing, another thing I didn't like as much, which I've told you before, James, but I'll say it again. Um, was not a huge fan of the massive filler episodes in season two regarding the backstory of the two queens. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Three queens. I've I rewatched the episode just before seeing this, and what I've realized is, while I like the lore that is explored, and while it's fun to see how it all fits together, number one. I don't know how I feel because I feel it gives too much away. And at the same time, it's creative what they do with the stuff they give away. Yeah. However, on the other hand, I really think the biggest issue I have is it shouldn't have taken up two whole episodes yeah. to do. And even the stuff in between that they try to intercut, not that fascinating. Just not that fascinating. I forget what they actually intercut it with. Can I be honest with you, Daniel? I Go forgot for about those episodes. I didn't remember what season they were even in because they just feel so out of place. Um, right. uh, it feels like a classic example of telling instead of showing. Yeah. Because like, even though they're showing us what's happening, they're telling us everything. I was with your father, which by the way, I always wanted to say this. Viren reminds me of that guy in Skyrim, even though it's a different voice actor who says, Divines, bless you. May the ground quake as you pass. Like, <laughs> exact same voice in my mind. Anyway, so Skyrim voice says, oh, the queens were trying to help us get to the stone. And it shows the queens going with them to try and... Anyway, we're spending all this time, this precious time, going back and dwelling on the past instead of progressing the plot forward and developing characters which are still alive. Another character that I didn't get to talk about earlier uh, that I really like is General Amaya. And I really like that she is in in this flashback. And I think that's my favorite part is that she was my favorite as well. Yeah, um, I, I like that she fun. you get to see her relationship with her sister. And then also throughout the series, her relationship with Gren, her translator and second in command. Oh, I love um, Gren. the worst part about it is whenever <laughs> they get separated. And it's just like these are the two greatest characters with her together. But when they're separated, it's not as great. Also, it makes no sense that you would just. Because Gren seems fluent in sign language. No one else in the show seems to share that. Yeah. So I don't understand why the heck you would separate the only person that can make sense of anything she's trying to say. I know. I think it was just to sort of create some interesting situations where, like, 
no one understands her, so there's like lots of yeah. miscommunication. But still, I will I, also say yeah. I loved it when Gren was held prisoner. Yes, <laughs> he was so cheery. He was he was just making he's like the uh, the unkillable optimist. He's like know. chained under the stairs and his Viren's walking by. He's like, ah, Lord Viren, uh, is it our time for our meeting yet? <laughs> he just keeps walking. <laughs> I love the romance between Rayla and Callum. And I love how that is handled and how it comes about. You want to know what's even interesting, James, and juicy? What? Is that, according to the writers, the romance between them wasn't initially part of the plan. It, it really just emerged didn't seem naturally, like it. It emerged naturally from their interactions. And here's the thing, James. When you build characters that are fleshed out in a world that is so consistent, sometimes the writing kind of writes itself. Where you think so, when you have a concrete idea of your characters and what they do and how they'd interact, it just goes down a natural trail. And I don't think that's a bad thing, quite the opposite. I think to go against that all the time, if all you're about is subversion, it's going to ruin enjoyment. Because it's like, I can't even sit in this moment because I don't know if this will turn into that or whatever. But I love the romance because it's so natural. Well, there wasn't anything right away where Rayla sees Callum for the first time and she's like... Oh, who's that over there? You know, there weren't any will they, just, won't they games being right. played. And I love that. It's I so loved, simple. So real. I loved be. it was natural. These people spent a lot of time together. They learned to just literally trust their lives in the hands of the other. And it works like it, it works on such a great level. And I think that's one thing that the last airbender does really poorly is romance. Yeah. And, the Dragon Prince, at least in this specific relationship, pulls it off. Uh, since I mentioned this in our spoiler-free review, I thought I should touch on this really quickly. Um, I thought that the scale of Season 3 was really rushed really quickly, and I think part of the reason yeah. now that I think about it and now that we talk about it um, is because Season 2, with that flashback, really sets everything back. It's sort of like one of those wind-up cars yeah. where you pull it back, and then once you let it go, it goes... Vzz! and it zips off at this right. unremar- at this remarkable speed. Um, it's like, wait, How what? did that even happen? So <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking about the beginning of season three. Their immediate problem was getting past this blind dragon, and it felt so mm. moment by moment. And then once they got into Zadia, it was like, we're here. And now there's giant magma monsters running around and they're trying to kill the dragon (laughs) queen and the dragon prince. And once I heard that there was a season four coming, I was like, really? The show's over. The final battle happened. This was the biggest it could get. Hmm. So I'm just worried about the next step. Or whoever Avaros is. That's actually a perfect segue to my final question. Oh, good, good, good. Assuming that it happens, what's one thing you're excited for the most about season four and one thing you're dreading the most about season four? This again, with us knowing nothing about what's in store for season four. I think I am excited for the continuing characterization of Soren and Claudia um, and just how that will affect the dynamic. I'm hoping that the scale shrinks down once again and we're able to focus on those character interactions because a lot of things changed very quickly in season three and I want to see if we can just take a breath and see how all of these characters are reacting to this. One Mm. thing that I'm dreading is that this perfectly natural and simple romance between Callum and Rayla sort of just, I don't know, either it fizzles out or it becomes too much of a thing and they put too much emphasis on it. 
and it just gets ruined and the honeymoon phase is over and it's like uh now we have to fall back on these contrived romance tropes and i don't want that to happen well you took the last thing which is one of the things i'm concerned about the most is the romance yeah because it is so precious to me because i just love the story of how it comes about i am terrified for season four because this is such a tight line to go by i almost guarantee you they're going to encounter some relational issues of some kind and it's going to come in the form of either a communication error, which is what these people love to do, or worse off, she'll think he's cheating on her with someone else. And Claudia is going to try and tempt him in some oh, way. Gosh. Yeah, that's inevitable, right? Can we just talk predictions and say it's inevitable? But one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is the unforeseen evil, because Overall, in conclusion, I feel the Dragon Prince is an excellent character study on their reaction to evil. Characters are built not on their choices, but how they react to evil and good around them. Do they run to it or from it? There And there are tiers of evil. Uh, I would say Avaros is one of the highest tiers. Viren is right beneath him, along with Claudia, though they might rise to Avaros's level eventually. And then you have lesser evils like the dragon, the blind dragon, you know, all those things. Some of the elves. And I am, right, some of the elves. And I'm excited to see how that comes together and how they fix it. Yeah. But overall, guys, what are your thoughts on this? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Do you agree with some of our criticisms? Do you have criticisms about our criticisms? Be sure to tell us. And have you been comparing it to Avatar The Last Airbender as much as I have in the back of my head? <laughs> I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. Have a great day. Ah!